John chapter number four. And uh, we've been in chapter four for a while now. And we've been in a series of messages that I've entitled Refocus, in which we are observing Jesus' actions and his teachings through the Gospels. And I think that a lot of times, be it through uh, life experiences or our own personal preferences or traditions or the different lenses which we look through, a lot of times we get our focus off of Jesus or he becomes a little bit blurry in our sight uh, and we can't see him clearly. We don't see the Jesus of the Bible. Sometimes he gets distorted through all the different things that we have in life. And so what I want to do through this series is to bring our focus back on him, whether we're distracted or if we've just lost sight of him, and just kind of trace through and see who is the Jesus of Scripture. Because I'll tell you, the Jesus of Scripture and the Jesus of contemporary Christianity is often at odds with each other. And so I want to see him for truly who he is and have the right perspective, the right understanding of who he is. So we're trying to refocus and in what we've looked at so far here in John chapter 4, we've been looking for the past three weeks at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman there. And uh, in the first week, we saw that uh, Jesus didn't take the route that people expected him to go. He didn't go the direction that men would have wanted to go, but instead his direction was determined by God. He allowed God to be his guide and to lead him and direct his paths, and he wasn't directed by the things that we usually are, be it uh, prosperity or our preferences or the praise of men or all these other things that usually direct our, our steps. But instead, he was directed by God. And then after that, we saw his conversation with the woman and how he dealt with her about her eternal soul and how he was motivated out of love, how he preached the gospel to her, starting at where she was. He didn't bring some kind of a canned message. He didn't come with some kind of a 10-step program, but he met her where he, she was, had a conversation, led her to himself. And he showed the disciples that there was a great mission field that they weren't even aware of, ones that they had even uh, counted out, and that there was many other people besides them that was working because the seed had already been planted before they got there. And on top of that, we see that the gospel is multiplied whenever the woman went out and she told others about it. And then we also saw that there's many rewards for serving God, both here and in eternity. Last week, what we looked at was Jesus was purging some prejudices. And as he took the disciples down through uh, Samaria, he encountered several prejudices that are common even to this day, that are common amongst men. And he said there was no room for those prejudices in gospel ministry. There was no room for those prejudices if we're to follow Christ and try to get his word out because those prejudices act as a barrier. They prevent us from going to the people for whom Christ died, for those who he came to save. And so in the story of the Samaritan woman, the three things that he conquered there or that he purged out was a prejudice against ethnicity. It doesn't matter what your nationality is, what your skin color, any of those things. Uh, Jesus came to save whosoever will. And for us as Christians, as he loved them, we need to love them. The second thing that we saw in this is that he came to purge out the prejudice against uh, lifestyle. She was a, uh, a woman with a sinful background. She was uh, outcast even by her own people. And Jesus looked past all of that. And he said, after all, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And she was one of them. So it didn't matter what her lifestyle, what her background was. She was someone for whom he died. 
And the third thing is that uh, he came to purge the prejudice of religion because she was of a different religion, a different understanding. That didn't matter. He didn't come to start a religious movement. He came to save souls. And so it doesn't matter what religion someone is, what color or nationality someone is, what their background is, what kind of sins that they have gotten themselves ensnared in. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And he has sent us into that same group. And so if we find that there are prejudices and there is hatred in our heart for any of those for whom Jesus loves, then the problem is with us and not with them. And so he purges those prejudices. Today we're going to move past this woman of Samaria, and we're going to see that after he leaves Samaria, that he's going to come back up into the area of Cana of Galilee. The disciples are going to breathe a sigh of relief. They are leaving Samaria behind them. They have been very uncomfortable for several days now, but they're getting back up into familiar territory. And whenever they get there, they are in the area where Jesus had performed his first miracle in turning the water into wine. And news is getting around. People are starting to talk about the miracle that Jesus did, about the things that he's been teaching. After he turned the water into wine, he had left that area. He had went down to Jerusalem for the feast days. And while he was there, he cleansed the temple. And he sat down and he taught and he did miracles. Talks about signs and wonders that he has done. And most likely the news was coming back up to uh, the area of Galilee where he was from. Because news travels fast. People like gossip, right? So how much it was true, we don't know. But anyway, uh, as the news was coming back there, uh, people were getting curious. People were being provoked to respond to what Jesus was doing. And in the passage that we'll be looking at today, there is a man with a problem that decides to try Jesus and see if he can fix it. And so with that being said, let's look at John chapter number four and down at verse number 46. It says, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. And Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him, and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord, we come to you once again, Lord, just thank you for this opportunity. We thank you so much for your word that you've given us, Lord, and Lord, for so many vivid pictures and examples in your word, so much wisdom and guidance that we can glean from it, Lord. And we just are so thankful that we have it before us and the privilege that we have to own it, to hold it, to read it, to study it, to preach it, Lord. And Lord, we just ask you today that you would just guide and direct my words, help me to say the things that are needful and accurate and helpful, Lord. I just pray that you'd be with each person here and minister to their hearts exactly that which is needed. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak through me, that you would use me as your vessel. 
And Lord, I just pray that you be with the needs of the others here, be with those who aren't able to be with us uh, due to sickness, due to work and travel and different things, Lord. And Lord, we thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus has just recently came up into uh, the region of Galilee. Like I said, his disciples are breathing a sigh of relief. They are no longer in Samaria. Although Jesus was working to purge their prejudice, he still had a long ways to go. These guys had some... What is it? Yeah. So this was still the very beginning of all of this. And uh, they had a, a long ways to go in overcoming this. We see that later on, Peter is going to be... Uh, He's going to be confronted as the Lord gives him the vision of the sheet that's let down and the whole thing to challenge him to call us not, I call me or unclean that which I've cleansed. And so they had a ways to go on this. But anyway, they came out of Samaria. They got back into familiar territory and people started coming out and meeting with Jesus. They came out, started talking with Jesus. And there was a lot that started going on here. But we we're introduced to this man. It says that he was a nobleman. He would have been of Jewish nobility, most likely. And he was in a position where he wouldn't have been popular for a nobleman to come and see anything out of Jesus so far because they were still looking at him skeptically. They were still kind of waiting to see what was happening. Some of them were getting upset. Some of them were uh, actually starting to oppose Jesus already. But this man had a big problem, and it was the fact that his son was extremely sick and they were expecting him to die. And whenever he had exhausted all of his resources, whenever he had done all he knew how to do, he basically came to the conclusion, I have nothing to lose. And out of desperation, he comes seeing if Jesus can do anything about his problem. And we find that Jesus confronts him a little bit in this passage because we find that he wasn't necessarily coming in real belief. He wasn't coming because he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He wasn't even coming because he knew that Jesus could heal. He was coming because he was desperate. Okay? And what we're looking at today, what I'm wanting to, to draw our attention to today, is that this man is not too much different from us. And what I mean by that is we all have needs. We all have problems. We all have different things that we are struggling with and trials that we're trying to get through. But what do we do whenever we're facing trials? How do we respond to the trials that come our way? What do we do whenever these problems come into our life? And so we're going to look at this nobleman's interaction with Jesus, and we're going to draw some parallels. We're going to look at this and see what this man has to teach us about going to Jesus with our problems. Okay? So my first point today, the first thing that I want us to look at, is the fact that he did come to Jesus. He did come to Jesus. And that is where we need to go first. We need to make Jesus our first priority, not our last resort. But he did come to Jesus. And whenever he was going through this, he decided he would give it a shot. He would give it a try. But as I've already stated, he waited until he had exhausted all other resources. And he came to Jesus and he came with a big problem, right? But if we apply this to ourselves, we look at it from our point of view, Whenever we're having troubles, whenever we're having problems, Jesus says, cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you. He says that we can bring everything, that we can come boldly to his throne of grace, and we can obtain mercy to help in the time of need. We can do this, or grace to help in the time of need. We can do this, but yet we wait until we have expended all of our resources. We wait until all else fails, and then we come to Jesus. We oftentimes only 
bring the big problems to Jesus. The ones that we think that we can handle, we keep to ourselves. And we struggle, and we struggle, and we uh, beat our way through life, and we end up having ourselves bruised and bloodied, trying to do it ourselves, trying to carry our own weight, trying to do these things in our own strength and our own abilities, whenever Jesus has already extended the invitation for us to come to him. Why is it that we try to categorize our problems and it's only the ones that we can't handle that we take to him? Why is it that we try to do it all ourselves and take all these problems on ourselves and we only come to him as a last resort? That's what this man had done. But we want to be a little bit gracious toward him because he didn't have all the information that we have today. Remember, this was early in Jesus' ministry. This is only the second miracle that Jesus had done in Cana of Galilee, up in the regions of uh, Galilee. But we have centuries of proofs and of evidences. We have a track record. We have the Word of God showing us that God can be trusted, that He does care for us, that He does love us, that He does want us to bring our troubles, our trials, our concerns, our burdens, and cast them at His feet that he does want us to take his yoke upon us and learn of him because he is meek and lowly in heart. And he wants us to find rest for our souls. This is the desire that he has for us, but yet we hold back. And we try to go through this life of our own strength, of our own abilities. The second thing that we find with this, this man here that comes to Jesus, this nobleman, is that whenever he does come, that was the right thing to do, wasn't it? It was the right thing to bring the problem to Jesus. Yes, he waited for a while. But whenever he comes to Jesus, what is his attitude? What is his posture toward Jesus? And I find it kind of amusing, maybe convicting, that whenever he comes to Jesus, he commands Jesus. Right? Whenever he comes to Jesus, he says, come and heal my son. He says, this is what I want you to do, and this is when I want you to do it. And so he comes, and he is ordering Jesus around. He says, I couldn't bear my burden. I couldn't fix my problem. But Jesus, I want you to fix my problem, and I want you to do it my way in my timing. That is too relatable. Because whenever we come to Jesus... We wait until we've exhausted all of our resources. We know that we can't do it, but somehow we still have enough knowledge and ability. We have more wisdom than God that we can tell him how he is to respond to our problem. We tell him how to fix our problem. He says, come now and fix my problem. Come now and heal my son. Jesus just arrived there out of Samaria. It is about a 30, 35 kilometer journey from Samaria down to Capernaum, or not Samaria, from Galilee down to Capernaum. And so he says, okay, pack your bags, come with me. You've got to fix this now. Do you ever take that posture toward Jesus? You ever have that mentality toward Jesus? Yes, I have a problem. No, I can't do anything about it. But this is how I want you to fix it. Lord, I'm having problems in my marriage. If you can just make her see things my way, everything would be fine. Right? Yeah, that's not going to work. God, I've got sickness in my life right now. I want it healed yesterday. I'm not sure which direction to go. I want answers now. We get rather bold with Jesus, don't we? Acting like we know a lot more for someone who 
has very little ability. And so whenever he comes to Jesus, he starts making demands. He starts commanding Jesus, ordering Jesus around on how Jesus is supposed to take care of his problem. And though we look at it and we find a little bit of humor in it, we laugh at it, we see ourselves doing the same things. We have a script. We have a playbook. We have it all outlined and say, God, if you could just stick to this, if you could just do it this way, that would be great. I don't know what direction I'm supposed to go in, but make sure I end up here. God, I don't know what you're doing in my life right now, but make it turn out this way. God, I don't know why this problem is here, but I want it solved now. And we grow impatient with him, not realizing that he is God and we are not. And it would do us so much good if we would realize that, that that is taking way too much upon ourselves whenever we try to do his job whenever we try to figure everything out, because guess what? There are so many things that we're unaware of. There are so many things that's going on that we don't know is even happening that affects our knowledge, our abilities, and the things that we wish for, God knows what's best. The Bible tells us that he is able to work all things together for good for those who love the Lord, those who are called according to his purpose. He's able to work all things together, but we don't know all the things that he's working. We know this one thing, and we know how we want it worked out. And do you realize what a mess that we would be in if Jesus did things the way we wanted when he wanted them? And so whenever we arrive at the conclusion that he is God and we are not, and we just allow him to take his position on the throne, we allow him to rule over, we allow him to guide and to direct our paths, then we're going to be much better off. I'm not saying that we can't tell Jesus our desires and our wishes. We can tell him how we'd like things to be worked out, but we can't command him. Even Jesus, whenever he came to the Father in the garden, he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, right? That's a big difference from come now and heal. I'd like for this to go away now, but you know what you're doing through this. Maybe I need to go through this season. Maybe I need to go through this trouble. Maybe you are shaping me through this trial. Maybe you are revealing something to me. Maybe you are guiding me through this. So, Lord, you know what you're doing, and I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you in the middle of this trial. And so this man waited until he had no other option. He came to Jesus. He came to Jesus and told Jesus what to do and when to do it. The third thing that we find in this is that he also challenged Jesus. He was putting Jesus to a test here. Because if you look down at what Jesus responds, he says, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus knows the heart of every man. He knows the heart of every man. He knows the intention. And this, this man, he could have come to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And I think he would have been right on track with that. But he comes to Jesus and he's not sure. He's heard rumors. He's heard stories. He says, just maybe this Jesus can do something for me. Let's put him to the test. And so he puts a feeler out there. He's laying out a fleece, if you will. He's saying, prove it to me. Prove yourself to me. And if you come through in the way that I think you should, if you answer my prayer when I think you should, if you do this the way that I have in mind, then I'll know you to be true. Then I'll know that you're really who you said you were. And so even though he comes to him asking him something, he is still reserving judgment. He's still saying, uh, it has yet to be seen 
whether he can really do it. There is still a question mark in his mind. And I find that we can relate to this, or at least I can, I can't speak for you, that whenever we come to God in prayer, how often do we pray prayers of unbelief? How often do we come with to him, challenging him to fix our problem, challenging him to come through with almost a caveat? God, if you do this for me, then I will serve you. God, if you do this, then I will believe you. God, if you do this, then I'm going to know that I can trust you. And our belief is resting on an if. And so this man comes and he says, I want to see it happen. When I see it, then I'll know. And then Jesus puts him to the test. He says, I'm going to do it, but you're not going to see it. Isn't that amazing? This is still very early on in Jesus' ministry, and he is going to perform a miracle from 30, 35 kilometers away. He's not going to come down into the house. He's not going to lay hands on him. He's not going to pray a big prayer. He's not going to do some kind of a special ritual. He's not going to make any kind of a spectacle of himself. But he only is going to speak the words because he's going to test this man when this man is seeking to test him. That's interesting, isn't it? And so for us, we come to God and we say, okay, God, prove yourself. Okay, God, I'm going to stand back and I'm going to wait for you to come through. I'm going to reserve my judgment until I see it happen. I'll believe you after you work out my problem. And then we just wait, right? We saw in Sunday school, the disciples were told to wait. But here, what we're seeing is a lot of times we just say, okay, God, whenever you perform, whenever you work this out, when you solve my problem, then I will follow you. Then I will serve you. That's not the right way to go about it, is it? So he's put Jesus to the test. He has challenged Jesus. And we see ourselves doing that as well, waiting in the wing, just seeing if he can be trusted. And this is what all this is. It is a matter of faith. Do I trust him enough to bring my problems to him? Do I trust him enough to let him work it out in his way? Do I trust him enough to believe that he's going to take care of me even before I see it. And so we see a little bit of a turn here because in verse number 50, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. This man had a choice to make. Do I believe or not? This is where the test was at, right? Because if he believed, he was going to go and he was going to obey God, he was going to go back home and see his son healed. But if he didn't believe, what's going to be his response? He's going to stay there continuing to demand, isn't he? He's going to be impatient. He's going to say, God, or at this case, Jesus, okay? Jesus, I know you said that my son's going to live, but I want proof. I want evidence. I want you to come with me. I'm not going to go just on your word. I need more evidence. And thankfully, that man didn't go that way. He didn't decide on that. It says here in verse number uh, 50, and the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus convinced him. He was convinced of Jesus. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so he heard the word of Jesus and he was 
convinced. And I know just by being a human being that he still had he still had doubts in the back of his mind. Right? Have you ever been there? I know God's going to answer, but in the back of my mind, I'm still questioning whether he will. I know it's going to be okay, but I'm still anxious about it. I'm still nervous about it. I know God's going to come through, but when? But how? And so he had a form of belief here. But in a way, we find that it was a partial belief because down in verse 53, whenever he sees it, then it says once again, then he believed, right? His belief became a little bit more firm. But anyway, back up to what we saw in verse 50. He was convinced of Jesus. Even though Jesus didn't make the journey, even though he didn't, make a spectacle of himself. He didn't come and lay hands on him. He didn't see all these things happen. He says, okay, at your word, because you said it, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to turn back around, and I'm going to go the direction that I came, trusting that whenever I get home, my son won't be dead. And so for us in our lives, we have the word of God. We have so much evidence. We have so much proof that God can be trusted. We are instructed of what he is like, that he is a good God, that he is a powerful God, that he is an able God, that he has our best interests at heart, that we are his children and he cares for us better than the sparrows and better than the flowers of the field. We have so many different scriptures that we could go to that show us not only those things, but we have the examples of those who went through even tougher problems than what we face and that he took care of. We have the benefit of not just his word, but we have the benefit of history and all the different ones that's went on before us that have testified to us that God can be trusted with our lives, that though we go through the fire, he will be with us. And so it doesn't matter what we go through. We go back to the word of God and we take the word of God and we allow it to convince us that we don't have to wait and save him as a last resort. We don't have to try to order him around. He knows what he's doing. We don't have to put him on trial because he will come through in his time and not ours. And so we need to be convinced by the word of God. And what does it say that he did after he was convinced? It says he believed the word and he went on his way. He walked on in faith. He went forward trusting the word of God. He didn't stay there demanding God to come through. He didn't stay there demanding for Jesus to do something else. He says, because you said it, I will believe it, and I will go the way that you have sent me. See, whenever we're going through troubles and trials, when there's difficulties in our lives, a lot of times there is a gap. A lot of times there is a time that passes by between the time the trouble comes and the time that Jesus takes care of it. He's not our genie in a lamp. He's not there to work through all of our problems. He's not there to make sure that we never fall down and get our knees scraped or bruised. He's not there to try to keep us away from hurt and pain. He is there to walk with us through it and cause us to grow and cause us to learn and to draw us closer to himself. We don't always understand his ways. We don't always understand the trials that we go through. We look at the book of Job, for instance, one of the most godly men that lived, and he went through great trials and maintained his integrity. And at the end, he knew so much more about God than whenever he began. God used those trials to teach him and to prosper him. And will he not do the same for us? And so we have enough word of God that we can take 
his word and say, God, I don't know what you're doing in this trial. I don't know when you're going to fix it or how you're going to fix it or if you're going to fix it. But until you do, I'm going to continue walking in the way. I'm going to continue trusting. I'm going to continue following because faithfulness is pleasing to God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please him. And faith pleases him. And this is what this guy expressed. He had faith and he went on his way, trusting that it would be well. And so he was convinced of Jesus and he went on the way. And I find something interesting about this. As he was going on the way, it was about a day's journey. He had to camp out somewhere overnight. And the next day, one of his servants meet him on the way. And the servant says, your son lives. The fever has broken. He is fine. And the man inquires, the, this nobleman inquires and says, when did it happen? When was there a change? He says, oh, it was yesterday about the seventh hour. And the man immediately knew that's when I was talking to Jesus. Jesus proved himself. He can heal from a distance. He can take care of my problems even whenever I can't see how he's working them out, even whenever I don't understand. He can be in more than one place at a time. He can be taking care of my household down there while I'm over here. And so with all of these things, this man runs into his servant and he gets confirmation that he was right in trusting God before he ever even saw his problem solved. And as we walk on in faith, as we are living out this life, as we are trusting him, God will continually bring things into our life, showing us that he can be trusted. The testimonies that we hear of others, the words that we hear, the things that we experience, the things that we see, we can see that God is very much involved and concerned in our lives. And through the things that he is doing, through the things that he's revealing, we know that we can trust him even before the prayer is answered, even before we see the end of the thing. So the last thing that I want to get through today is whenever he finally arrives home. He comes home, and I believe that his son probably met him at the gate. This son that was at the point of death, he probably came running to meet him. And this man's faith became sight. He got to see that God had come through for him. He knew, he had plenty of evidence, he had plenty of proof to know that Jesus was going to take care of him, but now his prayer was answered. And I believe there was a celebration that took place. Could you imagine what was going on in that household whenever that man came back and he said, I went and I talked to Jesus. And Jesus told me what he was going to do. And I believe that he was going to do it. And now I have seen my prayer answered. And there was a celebration that took place. It says that his whole household believed. That his faith here was confirmed and that he believed even more so. That doubt was erased out of the back of his mind. And I believe there was a party. I believe there was a celebration. I believe there were tears that were shed. I believe there was some screaming and some shouting and some jumping that happened. I believe there was celebration. And the lesson for us in all of this is as we have problems, as we have troubles, as we have trials, don't tell God how to fix it. Don't put him to the test and reserve your obedience and your following until after he fixes it. Instead, take him at his word, knowing that he will take care of you if you belong to him. And allow him to be God. Go along your way, trusting and following him. He will give you confirmation as you go. And one day you will see your prayer answered. And when you see your prayer answered, you better give him the glory. 
You better celebrate. You better praise him for the good things that he has done for you. Because guess what? As we are testifying, as we are telling about what Jesus has done, look at the effect that it had on the people in his household. The rest of his household believed. Whenever we tell about Jesus, whenever we tell about what he's done and how he's came through for us, it increases the faith of others. It brings others to him, and it has an effect. And so not only does he deserve our honor and glory, people need to hear about him because they're going to have problems too. In my closing thought in all of this, the greatest problem that we have is the problem of sin. We can try to fix it. We can try to go through all of our rituals and our religious systems. We can try to cover up our sins by our good works. We can expend all of our resources trying to fix our own problem. But the only one that can fix it is Jesus. We need to come to him first. We need to come to him first, and he is going to take care of us. We can take from his word, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He makes a promise that all that come to him, he will no wise cast out. There is none that he will reject if they come to him. There is no sin that he can't forgive. There is no problem too big for him to fix. And so for us who are saved, we came to him, we trusted him, we go along this path. And there's bumps in the road, there's trials along the way, but we are resting in the promise of his word that our sins are taken care of, our souls are saved. And one day there's going to be a celebration. One day our faith is going to become sight. One of these days we're going to see him face to face. And I look forward to that day. I look forward to the day that I can lay my eyes upon the one who bled and died for me. The one that paid my sin debt. The one who has paid it all for me and he has walked with me every step of the way. Though I can't see him, though I don't know the way that he's leading, I have trusted him, I have followed him. He has ordered my steps and I lay my eyes upon him and I can't wait to celebrate that. Whenever I realize that, yes, I've struggled at times, yes, I've questioned it at times and sometimes I have wondered, but I have kept going. And whenever I see him face to face, I will say it's been worth it all. He's been with me every step of the battle. And I know that he has done what he said that he would do. It's going to be a good day. And if there's anyone in here today that have not put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ, have not realized you have a problem you can't fix and taken it to him to solve, take him at his word. He will save whosoever will. And you can join in that celebration one of these days, and I want to see you there with me. But until then, let us just keep walking, trusting him and his provision and his ability and his care of us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we thank you so much for this, this story here. We can relate so much to this man. Our, our faith is oftentimes so small. And Lord, we... We don't always do the right thing by you, Lord, and we thank you that you love us anyway and that you're merciful and you're caring. Lord, help us, Lord, to trust you in the trials. Lord, to uh, believe you even before we see. And Lord, I just pray that you administer to the, the, the needs of the hearts and, and the cares on the hearts here today. Lord, I don't know what everyone's going through. I don't know the, uh, what they're needing from this service, but I pray that you would apply it just as it needs to be. And Lord, I pray if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior. If there's one here today who is still lost in their sins and don't know for sure that their eternal home is going to be in heaven, Lord, that they would take your word 
and they would believe on your word and they would uh, put their faith and trust in you and that they would be saved before it's everlasting too late. Lord, once again, we thank you. We love you. We praise you for all that you do and all that you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.